All right, do this with me. Just close your eyes, put your attention on Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. We give you our hearts, we give you our attention. Lord, there's none like you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. We give you all praise and thanks. Lord, let us experience you in this moment that it would draw us to want to be with you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bear with me. I'm honestly just going to try to float with the Holy Spirit in this moment just to see what he wants to say. I don't have a lot of time. Uh, had a really long message prepared for you. <laughs> that was a mistake. I want to I wanna say a big thank you uh, to Pastor Casey, wherever he is at the moment. Um, I just want to say thank you for being led by the Holy Spirit to be spontaneous in the moment and be those so, so half the songs we did this morning were not on the on the schedule they weren't planned and just to be led by the Lord was perfect and it was awesome it's, it's who we are here at this church one of the statements i wanted to make today that typifies what god has called us to do and to be as a church is this statement we prioritize his person by excuse me we value his person We value Jesus. We value his person by prioritizing his presence. You can't separate the person of God from his presence. You can't separate the person of Jesus from his presence. We value his person by prioritizing his presence. And we desire to do that as a house here more than anything else. And my hope, my desire for you would be that you would desire that for your own life personally every day. To prioritize his presence. My, my hope always, every day, is to whet your appetite with Jesus, that it draws you to want to be with him and to know him deeply and personally. Our hope as leaders, our desire as leaders, our responsibility as leaders is to facilitate an atmosphere and an environment for you to encounter him. That when we do different things, lead songs, preach, teach, share testimonies, that you wouldn't walk away going, wow, what an amazing worship leader, what an amazing preacher, what an amazing testimony, what an amazing song, what an amazing word, that you go, wow, Jesus is so amazing. That's our hearts. That's our desire. Jesus is better than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. Words don't do him justice. He's indescribable. He is matchless in wonder and beauty and awe and might and power and love. And the list goes on and on and on. And he is enough. He is everything. And I have some questions I wanted to ask you today. Rhetorical questions. You can ponder them tonight, today, later this week. But I feel like these are questions Jesus is asking us to answer with him And if we will be willing to be honest and search our hearts and allow him to search us. And I'll make sure that our hearts never leave this place of the simplicity of Christ and who he is. Is Jesus enough for you? Is he your satisfaction? Is who he is enough for you? Is he everything? 
Or do you want what he can do for you or give you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he Lord? Is he the love of your life? Is he a ticket to heaven? Is he an idea? A formula? A list of steps and principles to do and to follow? Is he a good teacher? A great philosopher? Who is he to you? I'm telling you, if you get more excited about other things in this life, things of the world, your career, sports, entertainment, your TV show, if you get more excited about angels or heaven or prophecy, you get more excited and more animated about portals from heaven and deliverance from demons, you get more excited about miracles, you need to fall in love with Jesus again. If you are bored in worship, if you are bored when you read your Bible, if you are bored in prayer, you need to fall in love with Jesus again. There is nothing and no one more exciting than him. Nothing and no one more supernatural than him. He is everything. Jesus is the universal solution for all of the problems of mankind. Him revealing himself is the universal solution for all of the problems of this world. Jesus is the remedy. Jesus is the answer, the solution for everything. He's the solution for our our, our negativity, our depression, our fear, our worry, our anxiety. He's the solution for any economic crisis, the solution for all sickness, disease, viruses, pain. He's the solution for all sin. He's the solution to break every addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography. He is everything. He is the remedy. He is the answer. But I feel in my heart that many times believers, not just the world, the church runs to other things instead of him. Goes to other things when they're overwhelmed, when they're anxious, when when they have needs, when they have crisis, and they don't go to him. I feel that even there's many believers who love and are thankful for what Jesus has done for them. Who come to him for what he can do for them. And enjoy doing things for him, but are not in love with him. Not in love with the person who is Jesus. You cannot separate what he has done from who he is. You might be thankful that he saved you and redeemed you and delivered you and set you free and forgiven you. But that's because he is the redeemer. That's because he is the savior. That's because he is salvation. That's because he is the deliverer. That's because he is the healer. And we can easily lose sight of who he is because we've been enamored with doing things for him or what he has done for us or what he can do for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. 
Well, just write John chapter 6 down. I'm not going to read a lot of it. <laughs> I was going to. In John chapter 6, I've been in this passage myself for a long time. It was, it was amazing that Pastor Chris came and, and, he was, and he began to preach out of John chapter 6. And he told me before he did that he was going to. And I was like, man, I've been in John chapter 6 for a long time. And he's like, me too. This is awesome. Well, he did like the first part of the passage of, this, of the chapter. Last week, he talked about Jesus feeding the multitudes. And then as he did that miracle of feeding thousands of people, he then dismissed the crowd because they're about to make him king politically. And that's not why he came. So then he dismissed them. He dismissed his disciples. They got in a boat, began to go to the other side of the lake. And Jesus spent time alone with the Father. Then he goes and he walks on the water and he meets his disciples in the storm on the water. He gets in the boat. The storm immediately stops and they are there where they're supposed to be on the other side. Which is an amazing story. Then at this moment in, in chapter 6, verse 25, the crowd who Jesus had fed some, you know, found out somehow that Jesus was now going to the other side. So they make their way around the lake to be where he is, and they find him, and they come to him. And they say, Jesus, when did you get here? And Jesus says, you're not asking me that question. You're not coming to me right now because of the sign, the miracle that I performed of the feeding of the multitude. You're coming to me because your bellies were full. You're coming to me because I fed you. And to me, this totally points out and illustrates how people come to Jesus in need, in physical, material need. That when we have these moments of crisis and problems, that we simply are coming to him to meet our needs. He, we want him to be our need meter. We want him to be Jesus' sugar daddy. And that's not what, he, that's not what he's about. Now, I want you to know very clearly that Jesus knows about your needs. He cares about your needs. He knows about them before you even ask him for help with them. And he wants to help you. In fact, he gives us a, a step to, to take where he says, bring your requests and your petitions to me, and I will give you peace that passes understanding. So he cares about those things. But if our only approach to Jesus is all of our needs... We were missing a lot. Because my question for you in that is if Jesus answered every prayer that you have and gave you all of your dreams and desires, would you still need him the same on that day as you do today? Or would you need him more? See, need is huge. We need Jesus every day. We need him before our next breath. We need him for our next breath. Without him, we are nothing. We are dust. He sustains all things by his word. He sustains us and keeps us alive. He is the, the air that we breathe. Without him, this whole world would fall and collapse. We need him desperately every moment, but if we're only coming to him for need... Material needs, physical needs, we're missing a huge part of coming to him. We're, we're not coming to him for who he is. Jesus did not come to fill stomachs with food, but to fill lives with the very presence of God. After he said this to the, to the, the crowd, you didn't come because of the miracle, you came because of your bellies were being full. He then begins to tell them, don't work for food that spoils. This is in verse 27. 
Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God the Father, has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work, God, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This here speaks of a religious mindset, a religious approach to Jesus, doing things for him, which is awesome. We, we believe in service. We believe in, in, in activity. We believe in putting action to your faith. But if the motivation is not in love with him, then you are simply doing right things the wrong way. Everything must come from this place of in love with Jesus. When, they, when Jesus says the work that the Father asks us to do is to believe on the one he has sent, that word believe is not a mental assent. It's not a mental acknowledgement of existence. It's not saying God is real. The, the demons believe that. And they're still going to hell. That is not what faith is. Faith is placing my entire hope, my entire trust, my entire being on Jesus, putting him as the center of my life and everything else revolves around him. And now he is my, my aim, my pursuit, my treasure. He is where I'm going. I'm going to need a drink of water. Praise the Lord. Life is real. I think I had a blueberry skin from breakfast still in there. All right. In John 6, verse 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. You see, right here in this scripture, Jesus correlates believing with looking. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to put my full attention on him, to give him my whole life, and to pursue him, to know him. That is what believing in him means. That is what faith looks like. That is the, the work that Jesus is looking for, for us to love him by giving him our attention. A.W. Tozer says, faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. Faith and believing and looking are synonymous often throughout scripture. What has your attention? What are you looking at? What has your focus? We must realize that Jesus is a man to know and not a method to do. That Jesus is a person to love and to grow in relationship, not a practice to follow. And I believe many Christians have that approach to him. Instead of wanting to know the man, Christ Jesus. Our primary work, if you want to look at what work we are to do, our primary work is being receptive to God or of God, aware of his presence, focused on him, pursuing him, wanting to know him, and everything coming from there. I don't love people. I don't serve. I don't teach and preach and give for duty, obligation, the right thing to do. I don't resist sin because it's the right thing to do. It's all from in love with Jesus. 
Because I'm telling you, if you're just trying to resist sin because it's the wrong thing to do, eventually you will weaken and you will fall because it won't be enough because your motivation is not in love with Jesus. But when you are in love with him, you go, how could I ever do that thing? Because I know it will break his heart because you're so in tune and connected to his heart. Those that love him love nothing more than looking at him. What does that look like practically? What does that sound like practically? It means prioritizing his presence, spending time with him every day. I'm not putting a timeline on that for you. I'm not saying it's got to be an hour. I'm saying prioritizing his presence. I would rec- I'd recommend spending time with him throughout the day. Not just designating one time of your day to say, okay, Jesus, I'll spend time with you here. And then the rest of my day, I'm doing my own thing. Or I will forget that you're even there. But on my lunch break, on my 15-minute break, before I come home and walk in those doors, Jesus, I give you my attention. There's no one like you, Lord. I love you. I need you. And you'll be amazed how your day just shifts and changes. How you operate in love and in peace and in joy. How all of a sudden the the questions and the, the needs that you have begin to come and be answered. The wisdom that you pray for begins to come. The people there in that crowd say to Jesus, okay, if you're the one that we're supposed to believe in, you need to prove it. How are we supposed to know you're the one? Prove it to us. Moses gave us manna that came from heaven, and that was in the desert in the wilderness. What are you going to do? And Jesus says, that wasn't Moses that gave you that bread. That was me. I am the bread of life. Jesus did his first I am statement in the book of John, declaring that he is God and saying, this is who I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Jesus is essentially saying to them, I'm the sign. You don't need another sign. If that sign of feeding of multitudes of people with five loaves of bread and two fish wasn't enough for you, nothing will be enough for you. I'm the sign. My life, my death, my resurrection should be enough for you. When the Pharisees and the different people came to Jesus at a later time and said, Jesus, what sign will you give us to say that you are who you say you are, that you're the Messiah? The only sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? That Jesus would die, that just like Jonah went in the belly of the whale, that God would be, Jesus would be in the ground, and then he would raise again on the third day. That his death and resurrection should be a sign enough for us. I don't look for a sign. I look to Jesus. Is he enough for you? A lot of people have this God prove it mentality. And all the while he's just saying, I have already. What else do you need? You're just going to keep believing your doubts and your unbelief. Come to me. Come to me. Here in this passage, Jesus says, whoever comes to me. That, the, the, the text, the, the tense of that word in the original language is a continual daily coming to him. It's not a one-time for salvation moment. It's a continual coming to him. 
And God desires and has designed it to satisfy us with himself. He is the bread of life. Jason and I did not have this conversation before he did the offering. It was amazing. You heard from the Lord, or I did. One of us did. (laughs) We both did. Jesus desires to satisfy us with himself. As, as Jason said, man will not live by bread alone, not by the natural bread that dev, the devil was tempting Jesus with in Matthew chapter 4. Man will not live by the bread alone, the bread that even Jesus multiplied to feed the multitude with. We won't live by that, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 to pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. He is to be our daily bread. In Psalms 81, verse 16, one of my favorite passages, it expresses the heart of God to satisfy us with himself. He says, oh, how I long to satisfy you with the finest of wheat, and from honey from the rock you will be satisfied. What is that? That doesn't make any sense. The finest of wheat is Jesus. He is the bread of life. Honey from the rock speaks of Jesus. He is the rock. And his word is like honey. In Psalms 119, verse 103, it says that how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The bread of life that we are to receive, that we are to consume, is him. It's who he is. Not just what he's done, it's who he is. It's his word. You cannot separate Jesus from what he's done. You cannot separate Jesus from the word of God. He is the living word. He is the word of God. He is the word on paper. He is God's heart on paper. Jesus says, you want to know what the father is like? You want to know what God is like? Look to me. And Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for saying, you think that by going into the scriptures, you will have life. Those scriptures speak about me. They point to me. And you go to them and you receive no life because you won't come to me. Jesus is calling us to himself. He's asking us, why do you love me? Why do you love me? Do you love him for who he is? Do you love him for what he could do for you, what he can do for you? Do you love him for the opportunity, the purpose to do something with your life? Or do you love him for him? This crowd, this multitude came to Jesus. They were just about to make him king. And they were coming to him to see what else he might do. And he begins to tell them, come to me for me and you will be satisfied. And he continues to explain to them, unless you have me, you will have nothing. And he uses some very graphic terminology. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part of me and you will not be satisfied. And people were freaking out. They were going nuts. What is he asking us to do? Is he being cannibalistic? Is he telling us to eat his flesh and actually drink his blood? How is this possible? And Jesus is simply using 
a natural picture to illustrate something in the spirit. Just as he did in John chapter three with Nicodemus saying, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how can that be? How can I enter my mother's room? I'm a full grown man and she's dead. And he's like, no, I'm talking about the spirit that you must be born again in the inside, be made new on the inside. And then he began to tell the woman at the well, you can drink from this water every day, but you'll still be thirsty. But if you drink from me, you drink the living water I have to give you, you'll never thirst again. He's using a natural thing. He's saying, if you will receive what my body will provide for you on the cross, if you will receive what my blood shed will provide for you on the cross, you will have eternal life. You will have everlasting life. If you will receive me and who I am for you, you will never hunger or thirst again. You will be satisfied fully and completely. If you will come to me daily, if you will receive my presence, if you will eat of my word, and you will be transformed. And the crowd didn't get it. And they freaked out and they were offended. They were pursuing God for the wrong reasons. They wanted a political king. They wanted a natural king. They wanted natural provision. They wanted a new set of rules to follow. And they were offended and they left. And Jesus comes to the 12. He comes to the 12 and I want to read the scripture, this part of it. In John 6, verse 67, he says to them, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked essentially, why are you still here? And Simon Peter answered the Lord, and answered him saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. We can't go anywhere because we've seen who you are. We know who you are. And who you are is enough. Who you are is everything. I'm confused. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't get the full picture. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I know who you are, Jesus. And I can't go anywhere. I'm holding on. I'm clinging to you. I won't leave. I can't go anywhere because you're all I got. And you're all I want. And you're all I need. You have the living words of eternal life. You are the word of God. You are scripture in a body. You are scripture's author. You are scripture's goal. You are scripture's means. You are everything, Jesus. And I can't go anywhere because you're all I need and you're all I want. Come on, somebody. Praise Jesus. Come on. Is that your heart? Why do you love him? Is he enough for you? None of Jesus' teachings make sense unless we realize who he is. Peter says, I believe, I have seen, I look to you, and I have come to know, I have experienced. God wants experiential interaction with you. He wants experiential relationship with you. He is not into form. He is not into procedure. He is not into formula. He is not into rituals. He is not into tradi traditions. He wants interaction with you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to listen to him. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to want him. Yeah. 
And Peter's like, I can't go anywhere else, God. I've tasted, I've seen, I've experienced. You are it. You're everything. I don't know what's going on. It doesn't make a lot of sense. This is where I am with a lot of things right now. Jesus, what's going on in our world? A lot of things are happening that don't make a lot of sense. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But Jesus, I'm not leaving you. You are the bread of life. You are the light of the world. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the good shepherd. You are all that I could ever want, all that I could ever need. You are the way, the truth, the life, the true vine. All life is in you. You are life itself, and I can't leave you. I just feel the Lord beckoning us today. Inviting us today. He never will force us. But he's inviting us to go deeper in him. No matter what may come our way. He's inviting us to him. I I recall in John, or excuse me, in Revelation chapter 1, where the apostle John, the same one who partnered with the Holy Spirit to write John 6, he is taken up into this heavenly vision in this throne room experience where he, he sees Jesus in all of his glory and Jesus reveals himself to him in so many ways in Revelations chapter one. You should check it out. It's really phenomenal. And I, I, he reveals himself to John in this way before he reveals the tribulation to John. Before he reveals all the problems in the churches to John. Why? Why did he do that? I believe because if all we focus on is the crisis, all we focus on is the negative, all we focus on, on all the, is all the issues in church life and whatever else, then we will easily become very negative and very uh, without hope. We will be very discouraged and we'll be very critical. But if you look to Jesus first, you can see all that's going on around and have hope. Be full of love. Be full of faith. Be full of peace. He's inviting us into this. Would you stand with me? Hope you got something from today. I would just encourage you to go into John 6 and let the Lord just continue to feed you from there. If you're here this morning, maybe you're watching, if you're here in this room, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to receive him. He loves you desperately. He cares for you so much. And he has given his whole life for you. And he invites you into a relationship to know you in a real and tangible way. Jesus did not come to establish religion. He came to provide a way for relationships so that you would know God. So if that's you, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you want to give him your whole life, he invites you into this relationship where he gives himself fully to you, and you give yourself fully to him. And if that is you, and you want to know this Jesus, I just invite you to raise your hand if you're in this room. I ask if you're watching that you raise your hand still even in this moment and say, Jesus, I want you. If that's you, raise your hand. Brother, I know you know him. (laughs) Why don't you just come over here with Scott real quick? Anybody else?
If you know that your walk with the Lord has become stale, has become complacent, has become lazy, that desire to come to him daily has waned and fallen apart. He's inviting you back into satisfaction with him. If you've gone to other things, substances, sin, people, and not him, he's inviting you back to himself. If that's you, I just invite you to raise your hand and say, God, I repent. I'm coming back to you every day. I want to know you deeply. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just ask that you would touch every person in this room, that they would experience your presence, they would experience your love, they would experience who you are in this moment, and that you would satisfy them with yourself. Oh God, do something real and tangible in their hearts, God. Seal this moment in them in a tangible way, Lord. God, I ask that you would move powerfully in all of us, that God, we would grow in hunger to be with you, to know you, to pursue you every day. Lord, you are everything we desire. You're enough, and we give you all of our hearts. We love you for who you are, Jesus. You are enough. You are everything. We give you all praise and glory and thanks in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.